Amen. All right. Well, we've been going through a series <clears throat> on uh, Sunday mornings on uh, entitled Peculiar People. And we've been learning about how God desires to have a peculiar people. He desires for us to be peculiar, which means different. It means to be called out. It means to be separated. And if you remember when we started this series, we began by talking about separation, just the doctrine of separation, the theology behind the doctrine of separation, how God desires for us to live a separated life from the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. He said, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Then the second sermon, we talked about setting up standards and how we need to have certain standards in our lives that will protect us in our separation against the world. Then we started dealing with some very specific areas in regards to how we practice separation. If you remember, we talked about separation in our relationships, and we talked about separation in our clothing, and we talked about separation in, in specific uh, parts of our lives. Well, this sermon is another real specific area in regards to separation, and this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of being peculiar in our music, being peculiar in our music and our music as uh, believers. And I want to kind of just lay a little bit of a foundation as the introduction to the sermon, then I'm going to give you some um, points in regards to how to guide your music in your life. But again, you have to remember as we've been studying this idea is that God's Word teaches us everything we need to know about every area of life. There is not an area in your life that God does not have an opinion in, that God does not have a will for, that God does not have a desire for. And uh, music is definitely one of those. And music is a big part of our lives, and God desires for us to make sure that we have and we understand what proper music in our lives is. Now, if you're there in Ephesians chapter 5, I'd like you to look down at verse number 18, and I'd like to just say this as we begin and kind of just lay the foundation. You need to understand a couple of things about music, and uh, the first one is this, that music is spiritual. Music is not uh, amoral. Music is not something that's just kind of neutral and it's not good or bad. The Bible teaches that music itself is spiritual. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 says this, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, and that's a, a sermon for another, for another day, but I want you to notice what it says here. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand the context. In verse 18, he's talking about the Spirit-filled life. He says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit, and then in verse 19, in that same context, he says this, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I want you to notice that God connects this idea of walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit and then speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You say, well, why is that? Why does He do that? And the reason for that is because music is spiritual. You will not live a spirit-filled life if you do not have the right type of music in your life. He says, look, I want you to be filled with the Spirit, so therefore, here's what you need to do, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, keep your place there in Ephesians. We're going to come back to it, but go with me to the book of Psalms. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following Psalms. Go to Psalm 22, and I want you to notice that music is spiritual, but that doesn't mean that it's always godly. 
music may have God's spirit, or maybe spiritually in the sense of how God is, but it also may be spiritually in the sense of Satan and being demonic. Now, let me show you uh, that music is, we saw how it's connected to being spiritual, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Psalm 22 and verse 2, the Bible says this, O my God. Now, I want you to understand the context. Here you have the psalmist, and he's not cursing, by the way. He's actually speaking to God, all right? He's not just, you know, uh, saying this as a phrase. He's speaking to God, and he says, O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Look at verse 3. But thou. Now, who's the thou there? The thou is referring to God, because in verse 2, he says, O my God. He's referring to God. And then in verse 3, he says, but thou art holy. Notice, O thou, referring to God, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. I want you to understand that music is very spiritual. In fact, here the Bible says that when God's people would sing praises unto Him, when God's people would open their mouths and sing praises unto God, the Bible says that God would actually inhabit the praises of Israel. You say, well, how is it that God could inhabit the music, the praising of His people because of the fact that music is spiritual? You're there in Psalms. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 28. If you're there in Psalms, you're going to go past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. I was a little hesitant to go to this passage because of the fact that we're actually going to be coming to Ezekiel 28 soon in our Wednesday night Bible study. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Ezekiel. But I felt like you couldn't really preach this sermon without bringing your attention to this. We saw that God may inhabit the praises of his people because of the fact that music is spiritual. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. But I want you to notice that music may also have a satanic spirit. And Ezekiel 28 and verse 13, I want you to notice what the Bible says. It says this, it says thou. Now we got to answer the question, who is this? Who is this thou that is being referred to in Ezekiel 28, 13? It says thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. Now if you remember the story of Garden Eden, there was only three individuals that were in the garden of Eden. It was Adam, it was Eve, and it was the devil in the form of the serpent. He says thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, the gold. Notice, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub. So he says, look, he's talking to a cherub who was in the garden of Eden. Who is this? Look, this is none other than Satan himself. Because a cherub is an angelic being, Satan is a cherub. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, uh, as we were studying the book of Ezekiel, we've dealt with this extensively, how about the cherubims and the seraphims and how Satan was a cherub. Here he says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, I have set thee so, that was upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created, notice, Till iniquity was found in thee. So he says, look, you were perfect till iniquity was found. Here's what I want you to understand. Here we see a passage of Satan. He's called the anointed cherub. But I want you to notice the last part of verse number 13. It says, the workmanship of thy tablets 
and of thy pipes was prepared in thee. I want you to notice that Satan, and again, I don't have time to develop this, but we were, as we were in the book of Ezekiel, we were studying how these cherubs are, for, for lack of better wording, they're kind of these hybrids. They, they're, they're these uh, physical beings, but they have these mechanical aspects to them. If you remember, we saw how they've got wheels, and they've got this, and they've got that. And here we see that Satan was a cherub that actually in his body had tabrets and pipes. You say, why would he have those things in his body? Because his body was actually built to be a musical instrument. Satan was a musical being. And many people believe, and I I tend to agree with the fact that he was probably in charge of the music and the praising of God up in heaven because he had this position of authority. He was the anointed cherub. But of course, iniquity was found in him. He sinned, he fell, but look, if he was a musical being, don't you think that he would have some influence and control upon the music of this world? And we already saw that God inhabits the praises of Israel. Music is spiritual, and God inhabits the praises of Israel. Who do you think inhabits the praises of the wicked, of the world? And look, you don't have to go very far to see the satanic influence in the music of this world. I've got some notes here. I had to do some, uh, I studied this out a long time ago. I had to do some study because I grew up a fundamental Baptist and a lot of these musicians and this music is not, is foreign to me, but uh, I did some research a long time ago. I want to bring this uh, to you, kind of bring it to your attention. Some of you would be very familiar with this, but there are many famous artists uh, which include a satanic spirit to their music. Okay, let me give you some examples. Uh, The Led Zeppelin guitarist, Jimmy Page, wore the number 666 on his pants at concerts and bought the house of a famous Satan worshiper by the name of Aleister Crowley. The ACDC singer Bon Scott drank himself to death. And afterwards, the first song on the next album by the band was called Hell's Bells in honor of their singer who was now in hell. Mick Jagger in his song, Sympathy for the Devil, portrays himself as the devil, and the song has the lyrics that say, I've been around for a long, long year, sold many a man's soul and faith, and I was round when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. And you know, just this blasphemous music, portraying himself as the devil and talking about Jesus, and talking about Jesus having doubts, you know, which obviously goes against what the Bible teaches. A singer by the name of uh, David Bowie, four days before he died, which he died in October or, or January, excuse me, of 2016. Four days before he died, he released a song called Lazarus. In the song, he was in a deathbed and basically resurrected himself, which was a mock of the Lazarus story in the Bible where Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the death. The song has the lyrics, Look up here, I'm in heaven. John Lennon from the Beatles. His most famous song was titled, Imagine. The lyrics of the song include, Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And he talks about, imagine a world without God, basically. And what I'm trying to just explain to you and show you and illustrate to you is that you don't have to dig very deep to find out that a lot of the famous musicians and music of this world is influenced by none other than Satan himself. Because of the fact that music is spiritual, 
and the right music is inhabited, the praises of God's people are inhabited by God Himself. But the music and the praises of this world are inhabited by Satan. So you need to begin this morning by understanding that music is very spiritual. But secondly, you need to understand that music is influential. Now, uh, uh, go with me to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter number 3. If you, in the Old Testament, if you find all of the one and two books, they're all clustered together. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. Go to Second Kings chapter three. Not only is music spiritual, but music is influential. Meaning, music can influence you, and it can influence you for good, and it can influence you for bad. Second Kings chapter three. Look at verse number eleven. Second Kings chapter three and verse eleven. Here we have a story. I want you to just bring your attention to it. In 2 Kings 3.11, the Bible says this, But Jehoshaphat said, and if you're, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. He's a good king. He's not perfect, but he's a good king for the most part. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the kings of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. So Jehoshaphat and the king of Israel and the king of Edom are getting ready to go into battle. And Jehoshaphat wants to ask of a prophet of the Lord. He wants to ask a prophet of God, is this something that he should be doing? And they said, well, here is Elisha, who was the one who took up the mantle for the great prophet Elijah. You should, and if you were with us for our Elijah series, you'll, you'll be familiar with that. Look at verse 12. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Went down to who? To Elisha, to the prophet of God. Notice verse 13. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, because the king of Israel is a wicked man. He said, what have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy fathers and to the prophets of thy mother. And to the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, verse 14, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Basically, Elisha saying, I wouldn't even be talking to you, king of Israel, if it wasn't that I do have respect for the king of Judah. Notice verse 15. He says, But now bring me a minstrel. Now the word minstrel means it's in reference to a musician. He says, bring me a musician. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And then Elijah go, Elisha goes on to give the prophecy of God. I want you to notice here how Elisha wanted to get a prophecy from God for the king of Judah. And he asked for a minstrel. He asked for a musician to play music. And when the musician played music, then he was getting ready. Then he was ready to preach and prophesy God's word. You say, well, why is that? It's because of the fact that music is influential. Music can influence you in a good way. There's many a time when I come to church tired, when I come to church, you know, just kind of needing a break, needing whatever, I think to myself, man, good night, how am I going to get up and preach? How am I going to get up and preach? And then I, I, and then, and then I get in the singing service and we start singing. And we start singing some of these great songs, And Can It Be, It Is Well With My Soul. We start singing some of these uh, songs, Victory Through Grace, and you start praising the Lord, and all of a sudden, man, you got the energy to get up and preach. 
You know, you're ready to preach God's Word. You say, why? Because music can influence you, and it can influence you for godly things. Here we have an example where the minstrel played, and Elisha was able to preach God's Word. But let me give you a negative example. Go to Daniel chapter 3. If you had your place there in Ezekiel, if you remember where Ezekiel is, right after Ezekiel, you have the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 3. Look at verse 1. So we saw music being used in a good way with a good prophet, Elisha, why? Because God inhabits the praises of His people. He inhabits the music of His people. Let me give you a negative example. Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Let's read a little bit of the verses to get the context. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. That's an idol. Whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providence to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. And I want you to understand what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image. It's an image of himself. He gathers all the people together to this, uh, to this meeting where they're all going to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And then the herald speaks to all the people, verse 5, that at what time ye hear the sound of the coordinate, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimers. These are all instruments. He says, and all kind of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Now, why do you think that they played music before they all worshiped the image of Nebuchadnezzar? Here's why. Because music is spiritual and it's influential. Look, any false religion... Whether you want to go to the jungles of Africa, where they're literally speaking in unknown languages and being demon-possessed, running around a fire and just, you know, uh, being possessed by devils to ungodly beats and music of, of, of Satan, or whether you want to go to the charismatic church down the street that's being filled with the same devils, speaking in the same gibberish and garbage, worshiping the same devil, and they've got their rock music with their uh, drums and with their beats and with their worldly... Look, music is, uh, is always used, whether the religion is good or it's bad, it's always used. Why? Because music is spiritual and it can influence you. They needed this music to be able to worship this golden image. Look at verse 6. And whoso falls not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kind of music, all the people, the nations, the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And, if you, and of course, you know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to, uh, to worship the image. And, and you've got that whole story. But I just want you to notice that music can be used to influence you in a good way like Elisha calling a minstrel to play music so he could preach the true word of God, but it can be used in a negative way by ungodly people to get you to worship Satan, to get you to worship idols, to get you to worship the world. Now, you're there in Daniel. Go, go with me to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. If you kept your place in Ephesians, right after Ephesians, you got Philippians and Colossians. While you turn there, let me read to you from an article entitled, Does Music Affect Our Behavior? This was written on uh, October of 2018. Does music affect our behavior? 
Let me read for you just a, a, a section of this article. I'll read to you parts of it. I'm going to jump, uh, uh, skip a few sections. But it says this. Based on a great number of studies, researchers claim that we all respond to music on a neurological level. Music affects our behavior, psychology, and reality perception. It goes on to say, the American Music Therapy Association reports that a music therapy is a powerful tool to fight such problems as stress, enhancing memory, or pain. In one study, scientists divided people who were about to undergo surgery into two groups. The first group, they played music to. The second group, they offered anti-anxiety drugs. Later, they asked the patients to describe their anxiety levels and found that those who listened to music were less nervous than those who were given drugs. Music, it goes on to say, affects the production of immunoglobulin A, an antibody that positively affects immunity, says other research. This is why many music therapists claim that the music sometimes even is more useful than pain, than, than pain pills, excuse me. It is less expensive and has no side effects. There are thousands of music therapists in the USA who help people with mental problems or emotional trauma to overcome their problems using music. The article goes on, it says this, in his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, Dr. Daniel Amen explains that regular listening of some types of music can be a door to a person's mind and his feelings. He explains this on the example of rock and heavy metal music. According to Dr. Daniel Amen, teenagers who listen to heavy metal music or music with negative content very often end up in rehab centers. He goes on to say, there's another study called The Secret Life of the Unborn Child in which Dr. Thomas Verney uh, conducts several experiments showing the reaction of an unborn baby while his mother listens to classical music. And I'm not necessarily condoning that classical music. I'm just reading this for you. It says music is powerful, is a powerful tool to affect people's behaviors, yet it must be carefully used to produce a positive effect. Music can be inspiring. Music can be soothing and calming, but music can distract us in a way we can't even imagine. Each piece of music has its own identity and personality. Choose carefully the music you listen to. And it goes on and on and talks about different things. But here's what I want you to understand. Music is spiritual and it is influential. Music is spiritual in the sense that it's either inhabited by God or it's inhabited by the God of this world, Satan, but it will also influence you to act certain ways, to think certain things, to do certain things. So what, you know, how do we know what is good music and what is bad music? How do we discern God-honoring, Christ-honoring music and satanic music? And what I'd like to do uh, this morning is just real quickly, that was all kind of introduction, but I want to give you three questions to ask, three questions you got to ask yourself to kind of help guide your music, uh, uh, your, your, your decision-making in regards to music because these questions, when you answer them, they'll help you understand what is good music and what is bad music. Now, let me say this. When it comes to the subject of music, obviously, we could, go, we could go deep and we could go dry. I mean, there is so much to music and the aspect of music. And, you know, as a pastor, I realize that I'm talking to a general crowd of people who have a general understanding of music. I'm not uh, preaching to a group of musicians that have studied music and music theory and all those things. So I'm keeping it real general and, and, and not specific because I'm trying to help just the average person who doesn't understand maybe music theory or things like that just to be able to guide you and help you understand. Now, this applies to whether you know nothing about music or whether you are 
some sort of, uh, you know, a, mu a musical genius and understand everything about music. These, these guidelines are going to help you either way, but I'm really trying to just keep it basic to help the average person understand, you know, what is good music? Because here's the thing, because of the fact that music is spiritual and influential, did you hear what I said? Because of the fact that music is spiritual and influential, we must guide ourselves to make sure that we are not allowing the wrong type of music to uh, bring in a wrong spirit and a wrong influence into our life. So I want to give you three questions to help you guide your music uh, uh, decisions and your discernment in regards to music. I'd like for you to write these questions down, and if you don't have a baby sitting on your lap or something on the back of your course of the week, you have a place to write down notes. But you ought to, you ought to, you ought to write these down, and you ought to use these to guide your music, uh, your, your mu the music you choose. And let me just say this. Many of you struggle with music. And if you struggle with music, if music was a big part, you know, I, I, I was fortunate in the sense that I grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist home. And that doesn't mean that I didn't listen to bad music or I didn't have, you know, uh, uh, didn't have access to bad music. Obviously, as a, as a teenager, you can uh, get your hands on whatever you want. But, you know, for the most part, I grew up in a home where a lot of this worldly music wasn't allowed. And I grew up singing the hymns and singing, sing, singing uh, you know, songs that are spiritual type songs. So honestly, this is not an area I, I really struggle with. And because of that, unfortunately, I feel like I don't talk about it much because it's just something I don't think about a lot. But I realize that there are many, and probably most of you out there, do struggle with music. Music was a big part of your life before you got saved, and you struggle with it. So I want to try to help you, you know, and I do believe that if you have a foundation, you know, my wife got saved when she was 17 years old, and though she was an atheist when I met her, and she hadn't grown up in a, in a fundamental uh, home, something she had going for her is that she grew up uh, as a little girl going to a Catholic church where they sang a lot of the same t songs that we sing now and same style of the hymns and things like that. So it was real easy for her to transition. You know, she grew up singing those songs. It was easy for her to transition when she got saved into the hymns that we sing as Christians, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But for some of you, that may have not been the case. So especially those of you, if you struggle with music, if you struggle with listening to the right type of music, I want to give you some uh, questions in regards to how to determine whether this is good or bad, whether it's something that you should be listening to. So write this down. Number one, because of the fact that music is spiritual and influential, you must ask this question. Number one, what does the music promote? When you are trying to decide, is this something that I should be listening to? Is this something that I should allow my children to be exposed to? Is this something that I should be uh, 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 allowing into my home or into my life? You got to ask yourself, what is it that this music promotes? Because music is an instructor. Are you there in Colossians chapter 3? Look at verse number 16. And here's what most people don't understand about music. But music is a teacher. It teaches you. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, it's interesting that it says that. Because what is that phrase referring to? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's referring to memorizing God's word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Then he says this, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here's what, here's what the Bible is saying. The best way to learn something is to put it to music. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And here's the truth. Some of you got saved, and you're struggling with even memorizing the Romans' road to be able to give the gospel 
But you'll walk into Walmart, and they'll be playing some ungodly song that you listened to when you were 17, and all the words come flushing, you know, rushing back into your mind. I mean, when you, when you sing a song, when you hear a song, you memorize the words, you remember the words. You say, I can't remember where I put my keys, you know. I can't remember uh, uh, what I read in the Bible two days ago. I can't, I'm trying to memorize these verses, I can't remember. But this music, you know, I listened to it 10 years ago and I still have it in my head. Why? Because music is probably the best instructor. If you want to remember something, memorize something, music will do it. And this is why you have to be careful what you allow into your ears and into your mind. Because once it's there, it's there for good once it's there there's no getting rid of it that doesn't mean you have to listen to it it means you can put it off and you can ignore it but music is an instructor so you got to ask yourself when you're listening to music what does this music promote what is this music promoting in my life what is this music trying to get me to do to think to act like now go back to, to psalms if you open up just right in the center of the Bible, we were just in Psalms not too long ago, go to Psalm 40. And here's what you need to get. Godly music teaches godly things. God's music will teach you good things. It'll influence you. It'll promote good things in your life. Psalm 40, verse 1. Psalm 40 and verse 1 says this, to this chief musician, a Psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Notice verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. That's what some of you need is a new song. Notice what he says. Even praise unto our God. Now I want you to notice. He's talking about music. He said he put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. He says this. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. He says, many shall see it. Many shall see what? They will see the new song, the praise in your mouth. They'll see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. The Bible actually says that when our music will help others to be able to see it, and fear, and trust in the Lord. You say, well, how can that be? Well, let me give you an example. Go to Acts chapter 16. In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And by the way, this is why you ought to sing during the singing service. Singing service is not just for you to sit there and have, you know, just a serious look on your face and, and, and not be part of singing. The singing service is part of the church service in regards to it's there to help you spiritually. It's not just the preaching. The music prepares your heart for the preaching. And let me tell you something. There is something wrong, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just telling you from the authority of the Word of God. You cannot be filled with the Spirit of God, but be ye filled with the Spirit, singing to yourself psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You cannot be filled with the Spirit of God if you have an issue or a problem with singing. If you sit at the church service during the singing service like this, let me tell you something. There's something wrong with your heart. You're not right with God. There's an issue in your heart. I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to help you. You say, well, I just don't feel like singing because you're not right with God. You cannot be filled with the Spirit of God and not have it produced in singing. You cannot be walking with God and not just get excited when we start singing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Look, you can't be in love with God without singing the songs and praises of God. And if you've got an issue with singing, look, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you, if you've got an issue with singing, it's probably because you've got a lot of worldliness in you. Because I promise you, you have no problem getting in your car and listening to the world's garbage. 
listening to the world's music. You can listen to your rap and your hip-hop and your country and your whatever. Then you come to church and, I don't know, I'm not into music. No, no, no. It's not that you're not into music. It's that you're not into God's music. I'm not into music. Everyone's into music. It's not that you're not into music. It's that the worldliness and the flesh in you has a problem with the spiritual music. Why? Because God's spiritual music is teaching and admonishing and trying to promote things inside of you that the world's music is trying to fight against. Acts 16, look at verse 25. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 16 and verse 25 says this. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. Remember, Paul and Silas were in prison. Paul and Silas were in prison. They had been imprisoned for preaching God's word. What did they do? And at midnight, Paul and Silas sat there with a big lower lip, whining and complaining. Is that what it says? Pastor, you don't understand. I'm so depressed. Grab a hymn book. Start singing. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm so discouraged. Grab a hymn book. Start singing. I'm serious. I, I, I need some sort of uh, pills to help me, you know, get over my depression. No, you know what you need is you need to start singing. I, I promise you, I promise you, if you're saved, if you're saved, and you're going through a hard time in your life, you grab a hymn book and you start singing, I hear the Savior say, say I don't feel like singing, just make yourself. Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You start singing, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. You start, like, here's what I'm telling you. You start singing praise to God. You can't help but get excited if you're saved. You got the Holy Spirit of God, and you open up a hymn book, and you start singing these praises to God. One day when heaven was filled with His praises, one day when sin was as dark as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt amongst men, my example is He. Living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. You think you're going to sing that and still be discouraged when you're done? You think you're going to sing that and still be upset and, and, well, you don't understand. You understand what I'm going through? Start singing, I serve a risen Savior. Yeah, good night, I can't. Uh, he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. You start singing too many songs, you can't remember how they start. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. You say, Pastor, can you help me with my depression? Yeah, grab a hymn book, take it home. Force yourself, start singing through these songs. I promise you, it'll help your heart. Because good music promotes good things. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Here you got Saul, uh, Paul and Silas, and at midnight, Paul and Silas praying and saying praise unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Right? 
The Bible says, you have put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Notice, the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's uh, bands were loose, and the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. You don't think that singing and hearing Hearing the praises of Paul and Silas all night long help those prisoners be influenced to do, right, to do the right thing? These guys could have left. But he says, hey, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look, everything is in the Bible for the reason. The Bible says, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the, Philipp, uh, and the Philippian jailer falls on his knees and says, Sir, what, what, what must I do to be saved? Why? Because godly music teaches godly things. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, if you start at the end of the Bible, book of Revelation, and you uh, head backwards, you're going to go past Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. You, you, can't sing, you can't sing these songs without getting filled with the Spirit of God. You can't, uh, you know, I'm just looking at these songs. Uh, it'd be nice to just sit here and sing all day. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. Say, Pastor, I don't feel like going soul winning anymore. Start singing. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Say, Pastor, I don't feel like reading my Bible anymore. Start singing. Finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. You say, Pastor, I don't feel like praying anymore. Start singing. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand. You say, Pastor, I don't feel like, like living for God anymore. Hey, just start singing. Never foe can follow. Here's what I'm telling you. You'll be filled with the Spirit. And you sit there and say, well, I'm not into music. I'm not into music. Listen to me. Let me help you. When we're singing at church, Sing. When we're reading the Bible at church, open your Bible and read. When it's preaching time, look up, pay attention, write notes, get involved. It'll help you. And the music time is a time that God has instituted in the the church service. Why? Because good music promotes good things. The reverse is true. The world's music teaches worldly things. 1 John 2.15, notice what the Bible says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You say, Pastor, this passage has nothing to do with music. Well, Luke verse 16, for all. Is that word all? It means everything. For all that is in the world. You say, is this, this passage is not about music. Is music all? He says, for all that is in the world. That must include music. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And look, you know it's true that if you look at the popular musicians of this world right now, 
I don't even know their names. I don't know anything about the music of this world right now. But if, I promise you, if you look at the popular musicians of the world right now, you can characterize them by these words, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Don't watch music videos, but if you do because you're backslidden, you know what you'll find? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Don't go to some rock concert or some hip-hop concert or some country music concert. Don't go to it. It's wrong. It's worldly. But if you're backslidden and you do, you know what you'll find? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Amen. Watch the Grammys. I think it's the Grammys or the something tonight. Some of you, because you're backslidden and you're worldly as hell, you're going to skip church and you're going to watch it. And I'm just telling you, you know what you're going to watch? You know what you're going to watch when you watch the Super Bowl? You know what you're going to watch when you watch the Emmys, the Grammys, the Oscars, the anything the world has to offer? Here's what you're going to watch. The lust, of the, pri- uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's all the world has to offer. That's all the world can give you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And look, Christians are so stupid sometimes. Christians get this idea that, well, it's just, it's just the rap music. That ungodly hip-hop music. It's just that Snoop Dogg and Tupac and Eminem and Skittles. And I don't know what else. It's just that, that hip-hop music is so bad. Pastor, no, I listen to country music. You know what? Country music is worse than hip-hop music. If I, if, I had, if I had to, I mean, Lord willing, my children just live for the Lord. But if I had to choose, hey, your kids can grow up and struggle with country music or hip-hop music, I, I'd rather they struggle with hip-hop music. You say, why? Wow, I can't believe you say that. You know what? Because at least hip-hop music, you can look at it and know it's worldly and wrong. This country music, these bunch of drunkard, fornicating adulterers want to act like they're good Christians. You know, they, people talk about the wholesome uh, country music. You know, the, the most famous country song by a guy named Brooks and Dunn, I don't know if that's a guy or a band or whatever, it's called Red Dirt Road. And the lyrics say this, it's where I drank my first beer, it's where I found Jesus. As if those two things go together. As if those two things are just, you know, wholesome and right. That is blasphemous, my friend. And, and you say, well, so, so is the world, it, it, look, it's any world of music. All that the world has to offer is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Say, Pastor, are you going to tell us what music to listen to, what music not to listen to? You're going to tell us what rhythms and beats to be careful? No, look, I'm just going to tell you this. When you're deciding to turn on the radio and listen to music, when you're deciding to put on a CD, play, a CD or to listen to something on your iPod or to look up something on YouTube in regards to music, you've got to ask yourself, what does this music promote? Does this music promote godliness? Does it promote me reading the Bible, praying, walking in the Spirit, soul winning, loving God, loving my neighbor? Or does it promote fornication and drunkenness and drug addiction and alcoholism? What does it promote? Because music is an instructor. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Music is an instructor. It instructs you. You are allowing it to instruct you. So ask yourself. You say, how do I decide if it's Christ-honoring music, if it's satanic music? What does it promote? Answer the question truthfully. What does this music promote in my life? Let me give you a second question to ask. Not only should you ask, what does this music promote? But because of the fact that music is spiritual influence, you got to ask yourself this question. What does this music produce? 
Anyone or anything that teaches you something should be judged by what it produces. How do I, I'm trying to decide whether I want to send my kids to the public, state, held university. Okay, ask yourself this question. What does it produce? I'm thinking of sending my kids to some public school because they've got a good sports program. Don't ask yourself, do they have a good sports program? Ask yourself, what does that school produce? Anything that teaches you, you got to ask yourself, what does it produce? Look at the kids coming out of that school. Look at the kids coming out of that university. If they're coming out with degrees and they're also coming out with STDs, you got to consider that. Because you know how you can get a degree without the STD? You know how you can get a degree without the, uh, being a drunkard? You know how you can get a degree without the beer pong? You know how you can get a degree without the fornication, without being a whore, without being a whoremonger? You, look, the way the Bible teaches, I'm going to show it to you in a second. The way that you determine whether something is a good teacher or not is you look at what does it produce. Not only what does it promote, but what does it produce. You want to judge whether Pastor Jimenez is a good teacher of God's Word? Ask yourself this question. What do I promote and what do I produce? Look around. Look around at our church. Look at the people. And I'm not saying everybody in our church is perfect. Obviously, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all struggling. and We're all needing to draw closer to God. But look at the people in this church and ask yourself, because this is what we produce here. Go to the rock and roll church down the street. I don't care if they've got 50 people or 5,000 people. Ask yourself, what do they produce? What are they producing? Because according to Jesus, this is how you, this is how you measure anything that teaches you. You, 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 don't, you look at it. Based on what does it produce? Let me show it to you. Matthew 7, verse 15. You know the verses. Let's look at them together. Beware of false prophets. Okay, that's a teacher, a bad one. Which comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Notice. He doesn't say you'll know them by their tree. He says you'll know them by their fruits. And by the way, the context of this phrase is about false prophets. People try to act like, oh, you'll know a Christian by their fruits. No, no, no. The context is you'll know a false prophet by their fruits. You'll know any prophet, any teacher by their fruits. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Notice Jesus doesn't say, judge them by their tree. Because look, if you wanted to judge a false prophet by their tree... Yeah, you might be impressed with Joel Osteen. You might be impressed with the false prophet down the street. They're going to have nicer facilities. They're going to have better programs, more resources. But he says, don't look at the tree. Look at the fruit. What do they produce? Hey, Pastor Jimenez, you got this building on Norwood. Don't look at the tree. Look at the fruit. How you ju- Here's how you judge something that teaches you is you ask yourself, what does it Produce. And music should be judged the same way because music is an instructor, teaching, to your, teaching to, uh, yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So here's a question. What does the world's music produce? I mean, be honest. What does it produce? Let me give you a list of the famous singers who died before the age of 30, either by alcohol, drugs, or suicide. Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Hank Williams Sr., Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin. You know what? The, look, be honest. 
You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to say anything, but just be honest in your own mind and your heart. You know what the world's music produces. It produces suicide. It produces alcoholism. It produces drug addiction. It produces STDs. It produces fornication. It pro that, that's what the world's music produces. And when you sit down and you turn it on and you say, teach me, world, teach me, Satan, that's what it's teaching you. So here's the question. What about the contemporary Christian music? CCM. Oh, Pastor, I just love the CCM music. I just love to, to listen to that. Con the contemporary, not the old-fashioned hymns. I'm not into the old-fashioned hymns. You know, people often ask, why do you guys not have, you know, well, you guys have the old-fashioned hymns. Why don't you have the CCM music, the contemporary Christian music? Well, here's the question you have to ask yourself. What does that music produce? Let me give you some examples of what the CCM producers uh, produces and, and where it comes from. A guy by the name of Mylon Lafarve, he was a famous Christian rock artist who titled an album Sheep in Wolf's Clothing. The implication seems to be that we should disguise ourselves as wolves and pretend to be just like the unsaved world, even though we are the children of God in order to win the loss. That, that sounds like a scriptural philosophy, right? A guy by the name of Larry Norman. He's one of the pioneers of the Christian rock movement. Some of his lyrics include, I ain't knocking the hymns, just give me a song that has a beat. I ain't knocking the hymns, just give me a song that moves my feet. I don't like none of those funeral marches. I ain't dead yet. DC Talk, one of the most famous Christian bands around in their famous music video, Jesus Freak. That video was directed by Simon Maxwell, who also did the, the, the satanic video, Hurt, by Nine Inch Nails. Here's all I'm telling you. You say, what does the contemporary Christian music of this world produce? And here's the answer, lameness worldliness. Look, I'm just asking you, show me the preacher who's getting up, going line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through God's Word, thundering God's Word, boldly preaching, thus saith the Lord God, not watering anything down. Like Paul said, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Show me that guy who's got a rock band on his stage. You can't find it. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I love your preaching. I just wish you brought, it, you brought in the CCM. No, here's what you don't understand. If we brought in the CCM, you'd stop loving my preaching. Because these things go together. They influence. If we bring in the watered-down, rock-and-roll, shallow music, have you ever wondered how specific the songs that we sing from God's Word? I mean, they talk about the deity of Christ. They talk about salvation by grace through faith. They talk about eternal security. They talk about very specific... Look, we sing songs that teach specific doctrines, and then I get up and I preach specific doctrines. You go to the rock and roll church down the street, and they get up and sing songs, real specific songs. Our God is an awesome God. Wow, I learned something. And not only that, but we're going to repeat that phrase like 30 times. Our God is an awesome God. You say, what's wrong with our God is an awesome God? Here's what's wrong with our God is an awesome God, is that a Baptist could sing it, a Mormon could sing it, a Catholic could sing it, a Muslim could sing it. You say, you say contemporary Christian music, they're trying to make money. You say, well, why do, they, why do they sing for God? Let me tell you why they sing for God. Because there's good money in singing for Jesus. You think they're going to sing victory through grace? You think they're going to sing faith of our Father? You think they're going to sing songs that specifically talk about... Here's all I'm trying to tell you. Music 
is an instructor. And the world's music produces worldliness, and you know what? The contemporary music of this world produces worldliness as well. Lame Christianity. You, you, you find, find the pastors across this country that are standing up with a King James Bible, that are thundering forth God's Word, that are preaching the truth of God's Word, that are preaching the truth, that are, that are helping people change their lives and understand Scripture, and you know what you'll find before that guy gets up to preach? A hymn. A song. Because music is an instructor. And God's music promotes in that direction. And it produces those things. So you got to ask yourself, ask yourself before uh, I listen to me. And look, I'm not here to be a lord over God's heritage. Whatever what you listen to at your house, that's between you and God. All I'm trying to do is help you understand that God has given some direction in regards to the music we listen to. And you got to ask yourself, what does this music promote? And you got to ask yourself, what does this music produce? Let me give you a third one, and we'll finish up. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 12. We've been talking about the fact that because music is spiritual and influential, because music is spiritual and influential, we must ask ourselves, what does that music promote? We must ask ourselves, what does this music produce? But here's a third question to help guide your music discernment. You got to ask yourself, what is this music patterned after? What is this music patterned after? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't miss this, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible says be not conformed to this world. The word conform means to pattern yourself or to mold yourself after. God says, I don't want you to be patterned after, conformed to. I don't want you to act like, to look like the world. He says, be not conformed to this world. You need to understand that God does not run his train on the world's tracks. Be not conformed to this world. Say, Pastor Jimenez, you don't believe in Christian rock music? You don't believe in Christian rap music? You don't believe in Christian hip-hop music? You don't believe in Christian soft rock? You don't believe in Christian contemporary music? Listen, I don't believe in Christian marijuana. I don't believe in Christian heroin. I don't believe in Christian prostitutes. I don't believe... Look, you can't just call it... Take something from the world and call it Christian and now it's good. If, if rap music is of the devil, then adding the name of Jesus to the words doesn't make it godly. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You say, what is the problem with the CCM music? Here's the problem. It's patterned after the world's music. Go to the average church in America today that is playing the contemporary Christian music. And you know what they're playing? They're playing the music of 10 years ago. The music they're playing is just whatever was popular 10 years ago. They just have that exact same style, that exact same sound. They added the name of Jesus. That's what they're playing. And you know, in a lot of cases, these contemporary Christian music churches, you know how you walk into Verity Baptist Church and we've got you know, the hymns playing instrumentally? Say, Pastor, why do you guys do that? Because music influences you. 
You've got some upbeat, godly music. You're going to get in a good mood. You're going to start fellowshipping. You know what these worldly Christian churches, you walk in and they've got their little rock bands playing the actual worldly music, like not even Christian, just the actual rock and roll music of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then, and then when they start the worship music, it's just the exact same music just talking about Jesus. And it's patterned after the world. It's patterned after the current world music. We need to have music that is not patterned after the world. Amen. That is not conformed to this world. Go to Psalms, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish up. Open your Bible just right in the center. You'll follow the book of Psalms. Psalm 33. Let me, let me just run through a few verses here just to show you something. Psalm 33, and verse 3. Psalm 33 and verse 3 says this, Sing unto him, Psalm 33 and verse 3, Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. The Bible tells us in Psalm 33, 3, that we ought to sing unto him a new song. Go to Psalm 40 and verse 3. We already saw it, but let's look at it together. Psalm 40 and verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God, many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. You say, what is it? He says a new song. We'll go to Psalm 96, verse 1. Psalm 96, verse 1. Psalm 96, 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. He says, sing a new song. You say, well, well I don't get it. Is he telling us that we need to like write new music when we get saved? No, here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you get saved, you ought to stop singing what you used to sing and sing it should be a new song for a new life. See, the old hymns are a new song for a new Christian. These songs that we've been singing, that, that Christians have been singing for 200 years, Christians will walk in and they're like, I've never heard this music. Yeah, because you're going to sing unto him a new song. Amen. It's the old hymns, but it's a new song for you. Not the world song. And, and it's funny because people will like, walk in here and like the only hymn they've ever heard is Amazing Grace. And then they'll get saved, and they're like, Pastor, I never knew Amazing Grace was about salvation. <laughs> Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. People are like, I didn't know that was about salvation. It's like, yeah, because you weren't saved. <laughs> it's a new song. Notice Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. Psalm 144 and verse 9, notice what it says. Psalm 144 and verse 9, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. Psalm 149 and verse 1, Psalm 149 verse 1 says this, Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Here's all, here's all I'm telling you. God has an opinion of every area in your life. God has a will. God has a desire for everything. Your relationships, your clothing, even your music. You say, well, how do I know? I'm not a musician. How do I know? Just what does the music you're listening to, what does it promote? Does it promote godliness? Does it promote soul winning? Does it promote a separated life? 
Or does it promote worldliness? What does it produce? Just look, look just, it's not that hard. Look at look the people listening to the music you listen to and, and look at what it produces in their lives. And what is it patterned after? Is it patterned after this world? Is it conformed after this world? Or is it a new song? Is it a new song that is different from what the world is singing? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to have this time. Lord, I pray you'd bless this uh, music, Lord, and I pray you'd bless the music coming and also, Lord, the uh, Pray that you would bless the uh, the sermon, Lord. I pray that you would help us to uh, to be able to learn these lessons, Lord, and uh, and guard what comes into our ears, Lord. Guard the music that we allow into our lives, because it will produce an effect. It will promote something in our lives, and Lord, I pray you'd help us with that. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just be with our church family. I ask that you would uh, bless us and be with us in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen.